And Father, I just pray that uh, you would enable me to make much of you, dear God. Father, would you take what little I have, and, and just like you did with the, the fish and the loaves of bread, would you multiply it and make something amazing out of it, dear God, because uh, I don't have wisdom, uh, but you have all wisdom, dear God. And so, Father, would you just help us to make much of you and to bring you glory and honor. Amen. So there are a lot of things to be thankful for today. Um, and pretty close to the top of my list is a mattress that is not one inch thick. If you went to the advance, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it was a great time, but uh, it was a little rough to, uh, to sleep. So, Okay. You guys look different today. A little scary. That's okay. Um, first, I want to say that in preparing for this, um, I have gained a whole new appreciation and respect for the guys that come up here, do this on a regular basis, do it well, and make it look easy. Um, I'm not one of those guys, so this is probably not going to be very polished, but we'll get through it. Um, this is a lot of work. Uh, maybe it's just me, uh, but it is, it is work. Um, let me start my clock here. You know, there's definite joy in the work. Um, there's definite stretching in the work, but, but it's still hard work. <clears throat> okay, if you're visiting or if you haven't been here for a while... This is the third in a seven series uh, series on, it's entitled Here We Stand. And if you look on your study sheet, you'll see there's a picture of Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms, which is how you pronounce that, Worms with a V. If you're really German, you would just make it a hard V, Worms. Um, it's not worms, but anyway. And that phrase comes from Martin Luther. If you look at the picture, Martin Luther is, is standing in front of um, King Charles V and a representative of Pope Leo X. And so those two men represented the, the height of civil and church power in the day. And here's this little monk, uh, and they're asking him to recant of his her heretical teaching of uh, salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. And so, you know, here's the emperor, and here's, here's I think it was a cardinal, I can't remember, um, arrayed against Martin Luther. And Martin Luther, uh, have you guys seen the movie? Yeah, everybody's seen the movie? If you haven't, that's heresy if you haven't seen the movie, by the way. Um, so watch the movie. But anyway, the movie is very dramatic. And Martin Luther says, here I stand, I can do no other. After he says that he will not recant. Um, now, in doing some research, scholars are actually divided over whether Martin Luther actually said those words. That was a little bit of a disappointment to me, uh, because in the movie they're just so powerful. But whether or not Martin Luther said those words, it doesn't change what he was doing. Martin Luther was staking out a position that he believed was core and was central to the message of salvation and to the gospel. 
And he wasn't going to be moved from that message. Now, I'm not under any illusions at all, or delusions, I guess, that, uh, that my words or anything I say here is going to have anywhere near the impact that Martin Luther did. But what we're trying to do here in this series is we're trying to stake out a position that this is what Lion and Lamb Church believes. These are our, these are our core beliefs. These are what the leadership has said. Here we stand. We can do no other. Okay? And so Steve started us off two weeks ago. Uh, thought, I'd, thought he did a fantastic job on the Trinity. Very difficult subject. I'm glad I didn't draw that one. Um, and then Kent talked last week about um, church government and the way that we do church government here. Not everybody does it the way that we practice church leadership here. We believe that's the way we do it here is the biblical model, and that's a the church is ruled by a plurality of elders. And Kent went into what that rule looks like. Um, so today, if you look on our website, you just follow our, our statement of beliefs. We're going to talk about servant leadership. And if you've been in Lion Lamb Church for five minutes, you understand that that's one of the core beliefs that we believe, is that men are to exercise servant leadership um, in the church and in the home. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, Friday and Saturday, about 40 men, um, oops, sorry, went to the uh, biennial. I had to look that up because biennial is every two years and biannual is twice a year. That was free, by the way. Um, and we heard from Dr. Jimmy Agin. And Dr. Agin, he's a uh, professor of New Testament uh, at Covenant Theological Seminary. That's the seminary that Steve went to. And he gave us four messages on uh, servant leadership as a husband, servant leadership for young men, servant leadership in the church, and what was the fourth one? Somebody help me out. Fathers. Servant leadership as fathers. And um, that was very challenging and very convicting. And it caused me to revise my study sheet. Um, so, disclaimer, uh, I'm not going to stick very closely to the study sheet. And so I want to apologize in advance. Uh, that is totally my mistake, not Patty Ann's. Um, I thought I was being a good servant leader by getting it to her early, and uh, so that was an epic fail. But uh, anyway, we will, some of it will apply, some of it will not. So I hope that doesn't throw anybody off too badly. Um, the second caveat is that this is primarily directed towards married men uh, because married men have the privilege and the responsibility of exercising servant leadership in the home. But that doesn't mean that everybody else can go to sleep because uh, there are, I'm going to talk to single men um, who are hopefully, God willing, one day going to be husbands and fathers yourself. Uh, and I'll say things to women as well. And um, so there's hopefully something for everybody. The second is, I know this is a, just like uh, the message that Kent taught on eldership. I know that this is a sensitive subject to some people. 
set some people's teeth on edge uh, for various reasons. Uh, some of you don't subscribe to this philosophy uh, that men are to be the servant leaders for, for various reasons. And then some people may have had a bad experience so uh, where this is not taught well, where it's not understood well, you may have had experience with uh, domineering male leadership, and that's left some scars. And so uh, to the first group, I would say, uh, you know, if you, don't, if you don't believe this, then let's go get a cup of coffee or, or, or a drink and let's talk about it. And hopefully I can convince you otherwise. And to the second group, I want to say that um, I'm sorry for you experiencing pain in the past. And I hope that nothing I say today uh, causes you additional pain. It it is not my intention to say anything that's going to do that. And if I do say that, if I misspeak, or if I am not clear about something, please ask me. And uh, I want to clarify that and make that right. Um, And then the last one, uh, and I'll be done with my introduction, Um, is that sometimes I'm going to talk about male headship, sometimes I'm going to talk about male leadership, and sometimes I'm going to say servant leadership. And those all mean the same thing. So I'm going to use those interchangeably. Okay. When we say here at Lion and Lamb, one of our core beliefs is that men are to exercise servant leadership in the home. What do we mean by that? Because that's what we all want to know, right? Well, Ray Ortland, uh, you can... He is a pastor, and in a book, it's called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, There's a link to the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood on your study sheet on the back. You can download a PDF copy of that book for free. It is a compilation of essays by some very highly respected theologians, some big names in evangelicalism. Uh, It's edited by... John Piper and Wayne Grudem, and the best part is it's free. Uh, you can just download it and you can read it. This book is really technical. It's got some really good uh, exegesis of passages. There's also a companion volume, which is 50 questions, and uh, that's more my speed, where they just go through the questions, you know, why, why are men servant leader. Why do you think men are servant leaders? And they answer that. Um, That volume is very pastoral, very easy to read, so I would recommend both of those to you. Um, Okay, so back to Pastor Orland. And this is on your study sheet. Pastor Orland defines male headship like this. The partnership of two spiritually equal human beings in which the man bears the primary responsibility of leading the partnership in a God-glorifying direction. And I want to spend a little bit of time and unpack that definition because it's foundational to what I'm going to say, and I think we really need to understand that. So the first part of that definition is that men or women are spiritually equal. Uh, Don't think there's any controversy there, right? We would all agree that men and women are spiritually equal. That doesn't mean that men and women are equally gifted for ministry. It doesn't mean that men and women have equal gifts. Uh, But what it does mean, as Kent talked about last week, is that in God's eyes, men and women are equal in value and equal in dignity. 
And so let's turn to Genesis 1.26, and we're going we're to see that. Um, then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So right there, I mean, that's God speaking. So right there we have in the Bible where God says, uh, the man and the woman bear my image in a unique way that the rest of the creation doesn't. Uh, now some would look at that passage and then argue, well, God said men and women are equal, so men and women should have equal opportunity to serve in the church. Uh, there shouldn't be any role that is barred to women. But that misses the critical point, which comes in the next chapter, which is why God created the woman, and that was to be Adam's helper, and not the other way around. Um, so if we look in uh, Genesis chapter 2, 7 through 9, and then uh, again in 18.22, and I'm not going to read that, um, that tells the story of um, God establishing the male headship over the woman. And, you know, when you read, when you read the Bible, especially something in Genesis, right, because if you've, if you've been in church for more than five minutes, you've heard this story over and over again, and we kind of tend to gloss over those. Um, but especially the narrative portions of Scripture, there's, there's tons of drama. There's tons of uh, passion in those things. And so I'm not going to paraphrase, but I'm just going to kind of walk us through. So, um, Okay, so um, creation is new. There is, um, the earth is brand new. It's only a few days old. Uh, God has just created the man, and he's told the man, given him this exciting new job, put him in this garden and says, here is everything you need for life and happiness. And your task is to subdue this, to be fruitful, and to multiply. And then God brings all these amazing creatures uh, for the man to, to name. Okay? And however long that took, I don't know. This, the scripture doesn't tell us. Um, and so all these animals parade in front of Adam for him to name. But none of them, Scripture says that none of them were found suitable for Adam. So all these amazing creatures, they had just been created. The fall hadn't happened yet. They were perfectly designed by God to do what God had designed them to do. And none of them were suitable for Adam. You think there was a little bit of disappointment there? A little bit? of a letdown, a little bit of, okay, what, what's next? And so, um, so God saw that, God understood, and so to rectify that situation, God said, well, I will create somebody that is suitable for, for man, and he created the woman. Um, and so God creates, puts Adam to sleep, creates a woman, brings the woman to Adam, and what does he say? Says, That's it. That's her. Finally. This is her. This is my equal. This is the person that I can relate to. This is the one that's going to help me fulfill the mandate that God gave 
to me. You know, he says, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Um, That's saying that she is like me. Um, So we can see, hopefully, that God created the, the woman to be Adam's helper. And in doing that, he was establishing roles for the man and the woman that were gender-specific. So uh, the man is the head of the woman because he's a man. And the woman is the helper because she's a woman. And the Pastor Orland talks about that there's a tension in this passage. Okay? Like there is in other parts of Scripture. Uh, you know, Romans comes to mind. There's a tension between the woman is equal in God's eyes, equal in value and dignity, but the man is head over the woman. And um, we have to live with that tension. It doesn't get solved for us. Um, So why do we care and why am I spending time talking about that? Um, Because if we don't get this, if we don't understand this, um, it leads to one one of two outcomes. Either uh, it leads to competition between men and women, and that's, that's always unhealthy uh, when you don't understand the roles. And what you get is you either get a passive male who abdicates his authority, abdicates his responsibility, and lets the woman uh, rule. Or you get the opposite, which is you get a guy who is going to put everything under his thumb and he's going to be a dictator and he's going to be a tyrant and both of those are polar opposite to what we mean by servant leadership Um, and so it's important that we understand this because uh, marriage is a portrait of Christ and the church and so there's a world watching our marriages and watching how we live, and when we don't get it right, we uh, dishonor the gospel. Okay, so um, hopefully we've established why men are supposed to exercise male leadership uh, because it's part of the created order. And so I want to take a little bit of time uh, to talk about some characteristics. There's always a danger when you uh, have lists, right? And... uh, so one of the dangers is, is that you start comparing yourself to everything on the list. And when you don't measure up, as we all inevitably don't measure up, uh, you either get angry or you get discouraged or you get frustrated. Um, and none of those are uh, appropriate responses for a godly guy. Um, for one thing, this list is not all-inclusive. It's not exhaustive. Uh, there may be things on here that you excel at. Uh, there may be things that I didn't think about that you excel at. But regardless, um, when we know that we don't measure up, uh, the answer is not to get frustrated or angry. It's, it's to get on our knees and ask the one who has all the resources and is, uh, wants to be generous to us to help. And God wants this for his church. So God wants men to exercise leadership, and, and he'll help us. So uh, I just wanted to put that disclaimer out. Okay, uh, one of the essentials of good servant leadership is that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. I feel like Captain Obvious for saying that, okay? 
Um, but there's a difference between professing Christ and being a disciple of Christ. And if you're not a disciple of Christ, it's impossible uh, for you to exercise servant leadership. John 15, 4 through 5, uh, Jesus said that we wouldn't bear fruit unless we abided in him. Uh, and in, verse, in fact, in verse 5, he says that we can't do anything uh, without him. And that certainly includes serving the church and serving your family. It's like I waxed my head or something today. My wife asked if she should powder my head today so you guys wouldn't be distracted. I said no, of course. So, so I apologize if you're, if you're distracted. But, and I don't even know why, where I was going with that. Okay. Um, where was I? Okay. Uh, we can't do anything apart from Christ. Um, as you abide in Christ, as you're uh, reading your Bible... Again, you can't be here for five minutes without hearing the message that what? You need to read your Bible, right? Um, As you're spending time in prayer, as you're meditating on the Word, uh, the Holy Spirit is going to change your heart, uh, change your mind. He's going to enable you to serve your family uh, in the way that He wants you to. Um, We learned this weekend that the heart of uh, servant leadership is following Jesus and serving our families as he came to serve us. And one of the passages that uh, Jimmy Agin used was Luke 22, 25 to 28. And Jesus instructed his uh, disciples, this was at the Last Supper, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And he, uh, Jesus said, uh, to make yourself like a slave, uh, to make yourself lowly, to make yourself humble. And the idea is that as we imitate Christ's example, um, we can serve our families. And everything that I'm going to talk about in some way or another comes back to imitating Christ, imitating his example of how he interacts with us and how we're supposed to interact with our families. Um, And then a second reason you need to be a disciple um, is that in every relationship, every good relationship, any kind of relationship, there comes that moment where uh, it's, it's will, it's willpower to love and to live with that person. Uh, okay? Um, and so if you're focused on that person, uh, you know, we're all starry-eyed and in love, and that's a good thing. Uh, we should be. Uh, but when I leave my... Uh, socks on the stairs for the 700th time or whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it's an act of will for my wife to love me. And so if, if I'm the object of her affection, then that doesn't work. Uh, you know, because we're all going to... You, you've got two sinners, you put them together, and you have two sinners living together. Um, and so, you know, but if Christ is the object of our affection, then that's all the power, that's all the strength you need to love that person when it's not easy. Um, Okay. Um, Humility. It's another vital quality for servant leadership. Um, Philippians 2, 4 through 6, is probably one of the um, most common passages. 
It talks about Christ's humility when he gave himself up for us. And uh, we talked a lot this weekend in the, uh, and I'm going to refer to this weekend a lot. So uh, uh, if you weren't there, you missed out. Um, but anyway, we talked a lot, about, a lot this weekend uh, in our small groups and in our big groups about the fact that uh, we're not awesome. You know, we're just, we're just not awesome. Um, as much as we want to think we are. You know, Jimmy talked about, when he was talking about uh, husbands, is that, uh, you know, we all needed a Savior, right? None of us had it together. Um, Ephesians 2, 4 uh, talks about that we were uh, without hope and without God in the world. Uh, to me, that doesn't sound like an awesome person. It sounds like somebody that's needy, somebody that needs somebody to rescue them. And so that's a vital characteristic. We need to remember that. Um, he also talked about uh, we need godly humility because the tendency is for guys to think of themselves as the hero. And you fix it all. Um, I have all the answers. I'm a guy. I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm supposed to know what to do. And so humility says, uh, well, no, not really. You don't have all the answers. And, and sometimes when you have the answer, it's the wrong answer. And uh, so you need that humility. He referred to it as uh, you need the humility to be the head of the wife and not the hero of the wife because that's not what she needs. And then we need humility, um, as I've said before, so that we can recognize our own inability uh, and then go to the one that has what we need, the one that does have all the answers, the one that does have wisdom and is more than happy to share it with us. Um, okay, a servant leader is going to seek to honor their families. And this was really... Uh, this is really the hard one for me. Jimmy talked about honor-based parenting uh, versus shame-based parenting um, and honoring our wives. Um, just a, a personal story uh, of, of a time I did this well and, a, and of a time I didn't do this well. Um, so we, uh, we moved here from Germany, and so Abigail started driving late, she was 17, right, when you started driving. And she's a very good driver, very cautious. But as most uh, people do, she was in a hurry one day, and the van was parked outside of the garage where it's not normally parked. And so uh, she proceeded to back up very close to the van. And so there's this long scratch on the van, and... Uh, this long scratch on the car that she was driving. And so, so I come home from work, and, uh, um, you know, the girls are all sitting there, and, they, well, we have something to tell you. And uh, it sounds kind of ominous. So, so we go outside, and, and you know, and, and Abigail's shaking and shows me the scratch. And, um, you know, and in that moment, I think God enabled me because I, I, didn't, I didn't freak out. I said, okay, That's, nobody was hurt. Uh, it wasn't an accident. It could probably be buffed out. Uh, not a big deal. And I have permission to share this other part. Uh, so Mariah goes, uh, 
that's it? That's all she gets? I've been waiting all day long for you to come home and give it to her, and this is it? What a disappointment. Okay? Um, so, but that, that was a supernatural thing because uh, probably eight times out of ten, I would have I gotten upset and lost it. Um, a time when I didn't do this so well, um, we had just moved from Japan. Well, you know, I'm retired military. And we moved to Wichita. We thought we were going to retire, so we bought a house. Um, it was all we could afford, so it wasn't a great house. And we're doing yard work. And we had to put dirt around the foundation because it, it had probably sunk a foot or two. We didn't know anybody. And so we were just working, trying to get this done. And uh, Trisha was helping me. And we're wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow. And I don't even remember what she did, but she didn't do what I wanted her to do. Um, and so, yeah, because we're trying to grade it away from the house and whatever it was. And so I just, I just blew up. And uh, so, I, will, I don't remember exactly what she said, but I'll never forget the look on her face. So she looks at me with just this look of utter frustration and tears and says, Look, I am trying to do man work and I'm not a man. And that was just really a wake-up for me, is that, yeah, you know, I didn't, I didn't honor you in that time. Uh, I expected something of you. You were giving your best, and it, it just wasn't good enough for me. Um, you know, 1 Peter 3.7 uh, says that we're supposed to live with our wives as the weaker vessel. And when we don't do that, it says uh, that our prayers will be hindered. So that's how seriously God takes it, is that uh, if you're not honoring your wife, uh, God's not listening to your prayers. Okay, moving on. You guys still with me? We're good? Okay. Um, Guys seeking to be a godly leader in the home and the church um, need to be in community. Uh, this weekend, we had a lot of community, and it was encouraging to hear stories when we get in our small groups about men that had the same struggles as I did as a dad, uh, men who had faced some of the same things uh, that I had in the church, and to hear how they handled those, and to get encouragement uh, for those. To see their passion for their families and for, for Christ. You know, to see Jimmy's passion. Uh, uh, I told Eric, I, said, I wish we had recorded it, because it, it was just, you didn't know what to expect going in, but it just exceeded all my expectations. But you can really tell his pastoral heart for men, how he loved this message. And so that was very encouraging. Um, you guys are probably, everybody's probably familiar with Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, right? It's one of those coffee cup and t-shirt verses in the Bible. Um, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Um, you need to have, it's, it's good to have a lot of people, but you need one or two guys that really know you. Um, that love you and that are going to build into your life, that are going to encourage you, 
um, that are going to strengthen you and frankly that are going to give you a, a kick in the pants when you need it. Um, and that can be uncomfortable for guys. It can be difficult. We're more programmed to compete with each other than we are to open up to each other. Um, but it's, it's just absolutely vital that you have a community, a small community of men uh, that are going to do that for you, um, that you can bounce things off of. I've had that in my life at various times. Um, Leon Stam, he is a retired colonel, and uh, I know that I could call him and, and he would uh, tell me exactly what I need to hear and not what I want to hear. Leon is not impressed at all by me. Uh, Leon totally gets that I'm not awesome, uh, and that's a good thing. Um, but I can tell you those times when I've had that, guys building into my life, the, the growth, and I think my family would say too, is that they have benefited from it as well. Okay, uh, a servant leader is concerned with meeting the spiritual, emotional, and physical needs of their family. Uh, it's good and right that we provide for our families materially. Uh, we should do that. But if you're not providing spiritually for your family, then you're not fulfilling the mandate that God gave for you uh, as a man. Um, Again, one of the things I like about this church is that you can't go to a Lion and Lamb-sponsored men's event and not hear this message, okay? That men need to be leading their families. They need to be servant leaders in the home. And they need to be taking care of the spiritual upbringing uh, of their families. We do what's called an integrated Sunday school here. And for those of you that are not familiar with that, um, we're getting ready to start in three weeks four weeks, I think, three weeks. So you'll get a booklet, you'll take that home, you'll work on it with your family, and then you'll come back, we'll get in small groups, and we'll discuss it. So why do we do an integrated Sunday school? You know, when Mike uh, taught back when he started this series off, uh, you know, he mentioned some of you don't like integrated Sunday school. Oh, why do we do that? Um, we do it because Bart McIntosh has tons of free time. And he has nothing better to do with his time than to create these booklets for us to study. Now, Bart's back there going, no, 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 no. No, we don't do that because Bart has tons of free time. Bart has very little free time. <clears throat> we do that because we hand you a booklet and... It's, it's easy. It's right there. You take that home, and right there is a built-in Bible study for your family. Um, and we're hoping, the hope is, I'm sure it's Bart's hope and, and the other leader's hope, is that as you do that over a six-week period, as your, your family studies together and as your family uh, opens the Bible together, that that's going to become a habit and that you're going to do that continuously. Um, we are commanded to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but we also can't forget that we're also called to care for, if you're married, to care for the spiritual well-being of our wives. Um, so just some questions. Do you, do you know how your, how your mate is wired for service, for serve, to serve the church? Um, 
Do you know what her spiritual gifts are? And what are you doing to help her grow those gifts? What are you helping, doing to help her use those gifts? Um, are you praying for your wife? Um, and when I mean praying, I'm not talking about those prayers, you know, um, oh God, please help this woman to not do this habit that really gets on my nerves, or please help her to be a better cook, or um, please help her, to, whatever. Um, I think that would probably fall into the category of prayers that God is not, not listening to. Um, again, we come back to, you know, in Ephesians 5, it says that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And Christ loved the church so that he could present her without spot or blemish to the Father. Um, and so, again, we need to follow Christ's example. We need to be pouring into our wives. Um, Speaking of wives, I want to talk to wives for a minute. Um, you probably have gotten by now that I'm convinced that women are, shouldn't exercise authority over men in the church. Um, but that doesn't mean that women can't exercise authority and that women don't have a role in servant leadership. Uh, the scripture is full of examples of godly women that were great servant leaders. Um, just a few, Dorcas in Acts 9, Lydia in Acts 16, uh, Phoebe in Romans 16, Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice in 2 Timothy 1.5. Um, all these women had great influence on the early church and were instrumental in helping the gospel uh, cover all the known world. So it is a false choice, ladies, between exercising authority over a man or not exercising authority at all. That's what the world wants to tell you. Well, it's either, it's either all or nothing. Either I get to exercise authority over guys or I don't get to exercise authority at all. And that's, that's a false choice. And, uh, and it's one that if you buy into it, it, it weakens the church. Um, Okay, we're almost done. So, what is the point? Why am I talking about all this? Um, and I'm going to just suggest as we a couple of reasons why uh, this matters. I regularly read uh, some blogs, and one of them is by Matt Walsh. So that's a confession for those of you know, who know who Matt Walsh is. Um, I can't give you an unqualified recommendation of that blog uh, because Matt professes to be a Christian, but every once in a while he's a pretty angry, angry young guy. And I'm not always sure that his anger is godly uh, or directed at the right thing. Uh, but most of the time he is right on target. And a couple of weeks ago he had a post, and you're going to have to listen and follow Okay, because this is, it's very confusing. Okay, this past week he had a post, and I'm going to read this, because a post about a woman who says she is a transgender man who is married to a woman, but they're not lesbians, and she who says she is a he is pregnant. Did you guys get that? You need me to repeat that? 
Yeah, if you're confused, yeah, Gary's going, no, don't say that again. Ever. Uh, yeah, if, if you're confused, you should be. Uh, and in the blog post, Matt said, well, yeah, they're touting this as uh, proof that men can get pregnant. Listen, we have, uh, over and over we've seen that the, you know, the courts overturn the idea that marriage is between a man and a woman, which we just read in Genesis. It's clearly established in Scripture. Um, you know, guys, we have moved beyond cultural confusion about gender roles uh, and firmly, I believe, uh, into the realm of insanity uh, in our culture. Um, and here's why it ties back to servant leadership. And here's why it matters. Um, because the more we live differently, the more we depend on Christ to serve our families, the more that's a witness to the world. Uh, not because of what we do, not because of, uh, again, that we're so awesome, uh, but it testifies to the beauty and the joy that's found in living a life according to God's principles and according to God's power. Um, the darker the culture is, the more our light shines, right? The, the scripture says that we're a city on a hill. And uh, one of the ways that we can be a city on a hill is to, to be uh, godly servant leaders in the church and in our families, to be different, to show uh, that there, there is a better way. And the second and by far the most important reason is because being a servant leader honors God. It's commanded by God. Uh, God wants us to do it. And we are called to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. Um, again, Jimmy, this is my last Jimmy reference for today. Uh, Jimmy said that servant leaders are called to do the impossible because servant leadership goes against power, it goes against culture, and it goes against the desires of our own heart. So servant leadership right there, servant leadership according to, to God's plan is impossible. Uh, Matthew 19.26 says that, that God can do the impossible. Um, in our own strength and in our own power, yeah, there's, just, there's no way. There's no way we can do this. Uh, but in God's power and in God's strength, we can, uh, we can make much of Jesus uh, by how we live and how we serve our families. Um, Luther stood against the dominant forces of his day, and uh, he said, here I stand, and we have an opportunity today to do the same thing uh, by how we serve our families and how we serve our church, and uh, so I just pray that God gives us the strength to do that. Let me pray. Father, we do thank you that uh, you give us impossible things to do. Uh, because uh, you make much of yourself when, we, uh, when those things come to pass, dear God. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, the grace that you pour out on our lives, dear God, that uh, when we come to you and uh, we uh, see you, uh, dear God, uh, for who you are, 
uh, that you're loving and you're gracious and you're merciful to us, dear God. And so we just praise you for those things, dear God. Father, would you help us? Uh, would you help us to be servant leaders? Would you help us to love and uh, to serve our families, to serve your church, to serve your bride, dear God? And Father, in all things, would you help us to glorify you? Amen.